Amen. I would encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 this morning. Verses 1 through 13. As you're making your way over there, we're continuing in our time together in our series of building the house. We have talked about worship, we have talked about praying, we've talked about serving, and this week we are talking specifically about love. And what, if we are going to be the church that God has for us to be, we must be a house of love. Here's our main statement for this morning is this, love is obvious. Love is obvious, so be obvious about love. Love is obvious, so be obvious about love. Before I begin reading 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, I just want to give you just a sampling of verses this morning. They're going to be on the screen of sampling of verses from the New Testament and from the just really the heart that we see revealed about love in the Word of God. They'll be on the screen. Here's a few of them. Listen, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Here's another one. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Also, 1 John 4.11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Romans 12, 9 through 10, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 12. And may the Lord make you increased and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. 1 John 4, 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother here's another one galatians chapter 5 and verse 14 for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself first peter chapter 4 and verse 8 above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, 
and hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then 1 John 3:16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, before I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if God says something one time, it's important, right? But if God says something over and over and over again, and this is not even all of the verses, this is probably just 25% of the verses commanding us to love one another just in the New Testament alone. If God says something once, it's important. If he says something twice, we better listen. If he says more than two times, we better take heed to what he is saying. So this morning, I want you to look specifically at this passage. We've been told from the scripture that love is important. We need to love one another. We just looked at all of those things. So what is it? If it's so important, what is it? For instance, we use the word love in a lot of ways. You know this. For instance, it's a very general term that we use in the English language. For instance, you can walk outside and say, wow, I just love this weather because it's starting to cool off, right? Maybe you love the summer. You can walk in and see your wife and say, I just love you. Maybe at this morning's breakfast time, you had pancakes and said, hey, I love pancakes or whatever it is you fill in the blank. We're using the same word for all of these things. But what does the Bible mean when it talks about love? We have a whole chapter discussing this in 1 Corinthians 13. So read with me in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, 
I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Lots of discussion about love this morning. Let's look at three primary things this morning. The first is this. Some Christians, even seemingly faithful ones, miss love and in doing so, miss everything. Let me read it again. Some Christians, even seemingly faithful ones, miss love and in doing so, miss everything. That is a more charitable way. I initially wrote this point as this. Some Christians are just mean. That was, and I just put that and I thought, you know what? I need to be a little more charitable. So it is, in fact, a message on love. But some Christians, even seemingly faithful ones, miss love and in doing so, miss everything. Look at the first of the chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, speaking of the spiritual gift of tongues, want to know more about that? Come to our spiritual gift study. But have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, think about that, that I am able to reveal and help and be a tool for God to use his will for the church and I'm able to teach the word of God, all those things. If I could do all of that, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Also, if I have faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, for instance, if you saw any of those things, someone who was being so mightily used of God in the church, that they were willing to give up their whole vitality, give away everything they have for the sake of the kingdom of God, we would step back and go, wow, look at that. Those people have it going on. But if they don't have love, Paul says, they don't have anything. If you saw somebody lay down their life for the cause of Christ, yet they do not have love, Paul says, even though what they're doing here is so honorable, if they don't have love, they have missed everything. It is possible to exercise godly gifts apart from love. It is possible to exercise godly gifts apart from love. To be a part of First Baptist Church, you know that you can use the gifts that God has given to you and not love people. It's true. God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. And when you come to Christ, you're given a spiritual gift and he's called to use all of us. But it's also possible to use these things and not love. It's possible to exercise godly gifts apart from love. Also, it's possible to possess great faith apart from love. It's possible to believe that all things are possible with God. 
It's possible to have the hope and expectation that God is going to do a great and mighty work amongst his people and then not love people around you. It's true. It's also, it's possible to sacrifice your very life in surrender apart from love. Why is he belaboring this point? There are many things that we can be used of God to accomplish. There are many things that we can do for the kingdom of God. But if we don't do these things because of our love for God and people, we've missed it. We've missed it. Some Christians, even seemingly faithful ones, miss love and in doing so miss everything. You can pick this out typically. It's one thing to serve. It's another thing to serve in love, right? It becomes obvious, which leads me to the second point, which is this. Love is and isn't. What love is and isn't is right here in the text so that none of us can be confused about what love is. So I want you to use this list this morning as I had to use this list this week in preparing this message. Quit kidding yourself. Quit telling yourself, for instance, we have this line in the South that we say. It goes like this. Hey, listen, I, I want you to know I love them. But, and then you fill in the blank. Or, you know, hey, I really love you, but I think, again, a clarifier right there. I want you so that there can be no confusion, not my words, but God word, God's words. When you say you love someone, if you're loving the way God wants you to love your brother and your sister, this is what it should look like. Now, perhaps we can culturally love someone in the American way, but that's not what we're called to. We're called to a New Testament, biblical love. And so there's no confusion Paul spells this out for us. The first is this. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Years ago, my pastor that I grew up under, his name is Holly Miller in East Tennessee, in Knoxville, Tennessee, he said something that stuck with me through all of these years. He was expounding on this passage, and he says, Friends, a Christian never has the luxury or the convenience of being unkind. A Christian never has the luxury or the convenience of being unkind. But notice what kindness is paired with. It's paired with patience. If you think about it, patience is passive kindness. It's kindness that's willing to wait and endure. And kindness is active patience. Kindness is you are treating someone with fondness and grace, even if it's not deserved. What does that mean? That means that we are intentionally not difficult to be around. I understand not everybody is going to like us. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like me. But that we go out of our way to be patient with people and to show the kindness of God. 
Not only is love patient and kind, love is not self-aggrandizing or threatened by the success of others. Look down in verse number four. Love does not envy or boast. Love does not envy or boast. So two things. The whole idea of boasting, it's not self-aggrandizing. Love doesn't say, look at me. Nor does love find itself dominated by what you have and pursues it with covetousness. Love is not self-aggrandizing or threatened by the success of others. Friends, we live in a time and a culture where our culture loves to see the opponents fail. We live in a time where we love to see other people not succeed. Some of it's cute and funny. Other of it, others of it is disturbing. For instance, football season just started back. Did you know? Did you notice that happened this weekend? Well, anyway, I'm a Tennessee fan, so it doesn't really matter right here in Mississippi. But for as long as I've done ministry in Mississippi, it's amazing to me how state and Ole Miss fans will talk about each other. Is many of them will say this, and I realize I've got to be careful because I'm talking to the whole room now, right? I've got to be careful. Is that if you talk to an Ole Miss fan, they will say, listen, I want Ole Miss to win this weekend, but I really would love to see Mississippi State lose. Or the other way around. You talk to a state fan, listen, I want state to win this weekend, but man, I love to see Ole Miss win. Or excuse me, Ole Miss lose. I said it wrong. Y'all know what I meant. You love to see your opponents lose. Now, it's cute in sports. It's fun. It's a game. But what happens when it comes to life, and especially life amongst the people God. Love is not threatened by the success of others. Also, love is not arrogant or rude. Love is not arrogant or rude. Notice the scripture says, again, love is not arrogant or rude. It's right there in the text. Keep going. Love is not selfish. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Do you know what church looks like when it's filled with people of God who do not insist on their own way? It looks like a family you want to be a part of. And by the way, I'm not pointing the finger at you all because I'm a member of this church too. That applies to me too. As a pastor, I don't need to be insisting on my own way. As a church, if we are filled with love, that means we're saying, hey, listen, not everything has to go my way. Because why? Because I love these people. I love my church. Also, love is not only not arrogant and not rude, not selfish. It is not easily angered, nor does it hold grudges. It is not easily angered agitated nor does it hold grudges again looking in the scripture 
It says it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Have you ever walked up to someone and just a small little circumstance happens and they go off like a bomb? They're like, oh my goodness, I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, getting a cup of coffee before you was going to just, just cause you to lose your mind. I, I don't know what's going on. It's clearly that something has been built up over time. Now, some of us, I'm starting to believe some people in this world like being irritated. I think it's just true. But the scripture says, if you have the love of God, you're not easily irritated. You're not a bomb that's about to go off at any given point. People don't have to tiptoe around you. If you're filled with the love of God, people don't avoid you because of your irritability. It's also, you're not resentful. You don't hold grudges. You don't play the historian in relationships. Also, love hates to see people fail. We've already talked about this a little bit, but notice it says this. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It hates to see people fail. We live in a gotcha culture, but love, rather than playing the gotcha game, covers a brother or sister. Also, love wants to see others blessed. Love wants to see others blessed. Notice it says, but rejoices with the truth. That there is a desire in my heart and your heart to want to see people blessed with the truth of the word of God. That love does not hoard blessing, it wants it shared. Here's another one. Love puts up with a lot. Notice it says, love bears all things. Not some things, but all things. It puts up with a lot. Also, here's another one. Believes all things. Believes all things. Now you say, Brother Matt, are we just supposed to be simplistic and just believe everything we hear and we're just supposed to go along to get along with everybody? No, I don't think that's what it's saying. But cynicism is a curse of our age. And amongst the people of God, love is not to be cynical. Love is not to be cynical. It is to believe all things. Also, love dares to hope. Notice it says, hopes all things. And I want to pair it with the next one. Love is willing to wait. Not only does love hope all things, it endures all things. So love not only dares to hope in the future of what God is going to do, love is willing to wait. So let me just read the list to you again. It's patient and kind. It's not self-aggrandizing or threatened by the success of others. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not selfish. It's not easily agitated. It doesn't hold grudges. It hates to see people fail. Love wants to see others blessed. Love puts up with a lot. It's not cynical. It dares to hope. And love is willing 
to wait. That language right there, and knowing that we are commanded to love one another, when a church looks like that, a church looks like God. Because we know from 1 John that God is love. Now, all of those things I just described to you is who God is and the love He has shown to you. And this is what He's called us to, to be a part of. Which brings me to the final thing, which is this. Love is forever. Everything else ends. I want you to look in verse 13. Look at verse 13 this morning. Now, so now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. A friend of mine called me this week, reached out to me, actually sent me an email. He saw what I was going to be preaching this week. Of course, many of you know him as David Langerfeld, and he saw I was going to be speaking on love and the love chapter. And he said, that last verse, he said, Matt, I learned something years ago. And he said, I want to share it with you, and he is right on point. Why is love so much greater than faith and hope? Why is it so much greater? Because love is forever. Everything else ends. I want you to think about it. One day when it's all said and done and we're standing before Jesus and we see him face to face and our faith has become sight, you don't need faith anymore. When you see things face to face, when you're looking at Jesus face to face, you don't need faith to believe. It's just right in front of you. So faith will pass away. Also, hope will pass away too. Think about it. When God gets done with his glorious work of redemption here on earth, there's really no more reason for hope because eventually we reach the place where every day that follows is more glorious than the day which preceded it. So in the sweet by and by, no reason for faith, no reason for hope. But when it comes to love, love remains forever. Why? Well, if you take it back to the beginning, I want you to imagine Adam and Eve in a perfect garden paradise where they walked with God in the coolness of the day. Do they need faith? Well, no. They see God every day. Do they need hope? No, they live in a perfect world. But what do they have every day? They have love. And here's what I'm getting at. Love is for what you and I are made. Now, as I mentioned, this is the South. You can tell people you love them all day long. You could say, hey, love you, oh, I love you, or I love her, or, I love him, I love this, I love that. But the kind of love we are talking about is 1 Corinthians 13. 
This is the kind of love God has called First Baptist Church to be. And this is what will mark us out as the people of God. Is not how good the music is. Can you listen to the preacher and not fall asleep? How good the children's programs are. How good the youth ministry is. All of these things, how much we give to missions, how often we go to the mission field, all of these things are wonderful. But Jesus says what he wants his church to be known for is how they love each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's Labor Day weekend. We're taking a mental breather, all of us, as tomorrow is an off day. Lord, I pray we would take a few moments this morning and think about who we are as a church and Lord, who each of us is in this church. Lord, we don't all have the same profession. We don't all have the same backgrounds. We don't all cheer for the same teams. We don't all vote the same way. Lord, there's so much difference amongst your people here at First Baptist because we're different people. But Lord, I pray today you would begin to do a work in us to give us a shared love that separates us from all of that other stuff and joins us together as your body. Lord, I pray you would allow this word to speak to us. We wouldn't kid ourselves. We either love or we don't. Will you help us to love one another? It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.